welcome to another episode of The Greatest Pod, where we discuss and debate what makes something great. I'm Ed Greer. I'm Ron Swallow. And I am producer Bill. And today we have a guest, illustrious comic book artist, a foundational guy for me, foundational member of the Drink and Draw crew. He's Jeff Johnson. He's been on an episode with me breaking down all types of art stuff from Neil Adams to who that Neil Adams episode is fucking amazing. If you want to check it out, Jeff has uh, a Kickstarter, baby. He's got a Kickstarter and his book is called Rogue's Kingdom. It is written by the great James Robinson of Starman fame and many other things drawn Mm -hmm. by Jeff Johnson and colored by Brennan, Brennan Wagner. Please give it up. For, oh, and the Kickstarter is live right now. Uh, I believe they may be funded, but you need to get on there and get those super sweet perks that he's oh, drawing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. so I, sweet. I'm already in there. I, I, got, a, I got a book coming. Yeah. I'm excited. Yeah, so fuck nice. yeah. So let me introduce Jeff Johnson. Yeah, it's nice to I be gotta, back. I got to tell you something, Jeff. I, re- I remember now. I remember one of the times I was with uh, Ed. I think it was L.A. Comic Con, mm-hmm. and he's like, he's like, I'm gonna go meet this guy. I I really like him. He likes uh, our podcast or something. And don't embarrass me. And I was wearing, a, <laughs> I, I was wearing a, I was wearing a Green Lantern shirt, uh, jacket. And then cool. I, I was like in my head. And then you started saying the um, the phrase to Green Lantern. Oh, the darkest my, day or or. Brightest yeah. day, darkest night. Yeah, yeah. And my brain just turned off, and I was like, "What? What are you talking about?" And I was like, "He was like the same, the Green Lantern." And I was like, and Ed is later on was like, "Dude, it's <laughs> 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 so I'm like I'm speaking to... your language. I, well, I've seen the ring. Yeah, hundred yeah, yeah. percent. It was hilarious. Yeah. Uh, dude, it's it's funny. Uh, but basically, uh, meeting Jeff really was a fa- meeting Jeff, uh, Dan Penn Ocean, um, meeting uh, Dave Johnson, uh, you know, meeting Cully Hamner, meeting yeah. uh, Scott Collins. Like all of these people are people I've looked at from afar. So to have some of you guys as my friends right now. It just blows my little. If I could go back and tell little Ed that he was going to know Jeff Johnson, like get the fuck out of here! You're going to be a pro <laughs> basketball player. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're going to know Jeff Johnson alongside Magic oh. and Kareem. Yeah, yeah. 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 Come on now, that's crazy. Um, it is. It is funny that um, the, the other day I was doing a podcast and someone goes, "The legendary." I'm like, "Okay, en- not enough with that. That's not. That's insane." <laughs> Both Simon is the legend. I'm a guy who draws comics. Like I think that's <laughs> that we can agree. Well, that's that's a generational legacy of comics, though, because like I came in uh, Wonder Man, Solitaire. Mm-hmm. I thought Solitaire was the coolest fucking thing the Ultraverse ever did okay. by oh, far. Man. I was all up on Solitaire, dude. That was, yeah. I mean, that was the Ninjack of my day. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, Ninjack was definitely an inspiration. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. I talk about this all the time on this podcast, though, is like I got into comics at this really weird time where the image, you know, launch had already happened, but we hadn't quite hit the bottom of the cratering of comics. Mm-hmm. And so for me, things like the Clone Saga and the Ultraverse and like the Acclaim Valiant stuff was all like really foundational, even though in retrospect, maybe not the greatest comics but like all that <laughs> stuff is at the the like foundation of my brain when it comes to comics yeah that's what's well, interesting when you get in because like a lot of the stuff that i fell in love with is pro- i mean it's it's core comic book 
mythos, except that if you look back at this stuff, a lot of it is just it's just workman level. It's just it's craftsmanship, right? It's like they got the book, they got the book in, they got the book out, right? There's not a lot of splash pages. Nothing is it's super fancy. It was it was really meat and potatoes back in the day, and I I, I loved it. I, I it's hard for me to look at like the more modern stuff, which is phenomenal, but very bells and whistly sometimes. Takes itself like, very oh. seriously. Yeah, I'm like, oh no, that's they went too far with like I, I I'm an old man about like oh man that should have been a that should not have been a close up that that should definitely have been more of a, a you know an over the shoulder show like so it's funny the, the the rules that I grew up with are not the rules anymore and so Rogue's Kingdom I think kind of looks I mean I like it but it looks kind of old fashioned I don't know I don't know if it looks old fashioned we were talking a little bit off air and I'll just compliment you again on air I feel like the amount of detail that you are packing into the environments, everything from just like desert mesas to crazy cityscapes to, mm. you know, you're inside a bazaar. I don't see any old school comics going to the lengths that you're going to to really get that sense of place and time and, and consistency from panel to panel. Like it's one thing to do like the image guys did where here's your big money shot of whatever, you know, the spaceship in the sky. And then it's nothing but close ups from there on yeah, out. Right. You know, I guess maybe it's old fashioned in that way where it's like, oh, no, once I establish a sense of place, we are going to live in that place. Yeah. But otherwise, like the dynamics that you're bringing to the work is really something else. Oh, well, let's take a look at one real quick. How about <laughs> oh, this guy. If you guys are listening on the podcast, go to our YouTube. You can check out this insane whole city with clouds and a sun and boats in the river. Dude. And if you look, if you look, if you look real close, I don't know if you can see it in a small picture. I actually have people walking in the street that are going oh, yeah. about their vesper, like their their wow. their evening constitutionals. <laughs> and I actually had to resist putting more little people in because I'm like, no one cares. No one's going to care about yeah. that. Uh, really, Ron, uh, throw that up one more time. I just yeah, have a sure. comment from 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 my perspective as a uh, perspective, huh? Uh, as far as someone who draws. The perspective on this is amazing because there's very few um, square edges. Most of the time you do buildings, you just draw a bunch of fat rectangles mm. and figure out where the vanishing points are. This is like, it's got a little bit of, it's, you know, curvilinear with you basically making sure that the rounded domes are in correct perspective. These were, these were tumescent uh, like uh, <laughs> things mm, are, are, yeah. are, are, are in, are in perfect perspective. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's really the feat to me. And of course, uh, Brennan's lighting on here is yeah. pretty amazing. Yeah, he did it. He did an incredible job um, giving it the the flavor of that. Was it the magic hour? Is that what it's called? That that mm -hmm, hour yeah. before sunset? Yeah, he really captured that. He, he gave the city um, a sense of like grandeur, I think. But also there's a sense of like dark shadow to it. It's it's a port city. It's a it's kind of a it's a fun and dangerous place. Yeah, and let me say from a total novice point of view, um, I like the – it's almost like there's nothing symmetrical per se about it mm. because whenever you look at a city from – like, you know, you, you go up to in to Hollywood Hills or Mulholland Drive and you look down into the valley, it, it doesn't look symmetrical. It, it, it looks like there's a bunch of buildings in a bu bunch of different ways and, and, and how each building is a different size and, and – there's nothing specific middle about it. And, and I think that actually makes it a little more of a real feel to the city. Mm -hmm. 
because you're not looking at like sometimes you'll in comics you'll see somebody build a city and it's like everything is symmetrical and the buildings match perfectly and it's like there's a thing to it that's stale right it's like when you add in a different feel to that it feels like it's like a real life like there's like it's a lived in place well i really wanted it to be the i wanted it to be the city that people would feel like they've been to before or seen before but not but not quite seen so yeah. it's it's really based on kind of a lot of french mediterranean cities where like they're they're it's with hills and and there's you know and you, and you kind of wanted to layer it in um and i definitely wanted to pull you down to the to the water pull you through the city so i shaped it as kind of like a funnel um mm -hmm. but it's a uh, so ed will know how meticulous if not obsessive i can be about things i i have the the palace and whatnot are clearly up on the hill overseeing the city and then i have different i have different neighborhoods so i have a map um, which someday I'll, I'll share. It's clearly, <laughs> are you laughing at me wrong? <laughs> yeah. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So there's clearly where the city is or the, where the, the palace is. And then there's the merchant quarters and then there's the, the rough, the, the tougher part. And then there's down by the ports and the piers and whatnot. And so I have various roads that I know that are going. And so the, I know what road the, the princess takes back to the city. And so <laughs> in my mind, I know where it's all at. And I know that's, it can be a little more work than is sane, but for me, it's, it helps me know how long, like what's funny, <laughs> Ed will appreciate this is like, so I know how long it will take her to get from place to place. So in my mind, that's how many panels she needs. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's well, meticulous see, and i love it yeah 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 people don't think about the fact though that like that is something tolkien would do as he's creating his fantasy world i was like, literally just reason, gonna bring that up yeah he made all those maps and i think i think we do ourselves a disservice when we think of that as too much work because mm -hmm. if you're trying to create an immersive world and we allow novelists the leeway to do this sort of thing right. Mm -hmm. That is the work you have to do. Yeah. Oh, this is one of the first images I saw from this. Uh, that it just it's uh, this whole silhouette. The silhouette is perfect and very animation-y. And mm -hmm. then we get these traditional uh, Jeff Johnson buildings. And I love the fact that you kind of fade the buildings out around the figure, obviously, to highlight it. But mm -hmm. it's just little touches like that. Certain modern comics would draw all those lines and obscure the purity of that silhouette but you kind of know when to wax and wane with detail. So you're not just hyper detailed, insane person. Right. I think you're trying to do it for a purpose and, f you know, so basically you're trying to make this a real world. So let's hear about it. What is the, uh, the pitch for rogues kingdom, Jeff? So the scene that right there, that one where she's running across the rooftops is that, that character is, uh, and I'm going to get to the whole pitch in just a second, but that character, her, that's the princess her name is princess Tara. Um, but uh, she is our Zorro character, like why she mm. is the princess and she's the heir to the throne. And she is often, uh, I, I had to draw a lot of very fancy dresses. She is also sort of the secret guardian of the kingdom. She takes care of uh, protecting her father, who is the king, and making sure things um, go smoothly and that he's safe. And she fights crime and she gets involved in a lot of the behind the scenes politics as the, the characters, the terror. And so she is one of the protectors of the, the kingdom, the, the big picture that you saw, that's Lumpland. That's the name of the kingdom. 
Um, and the story is that if you uh, if you go, go back to the beginning of the comic, um, our main character, the kid Peachy, and the older guy, the other main character Rondo, are both in um, a prison cart at the end of a caravan. And that caravan, that's Peachy. Um, uh, and that is the caravan driver who has his own character sheet and his own backstory, even though you don't see him more than the. I, I remember you telling me about your process of <laughs> like, I think writing a bio for the carriage driver, but also figuring out how he held the reins, right? <laughs> what yeah. sort of way he was sitting to for maximum. <laughs> it was so funny, dude. And I was like, this guy, you think you're not a genius. And that's what makes you one. Oh, like, that, that's part, that's part of it. And like Bill was saying, it's part of the work that you need to make uh, things have a certain verisimilitude. But anyway, so peachy, all right, so Peachy and Rondo. Uh, Rondo is the guy with white hair. Um, that's Arlo. He's the poor guy who's also in the cart with him. And uh, <laughs> we'll come back to him because James in the in the comic um, we have stuff that there's Rondo, um, Rondo and Peachy. So um, the so those two characters uh, are on their way to either go to jail or get hung, but they're on their way to trial in this in the city of Lumpland, the, cap- the capital of the country is the city of Lumpland. Um, and they're in the back of the caravan. And meanwhile, in the front of the caravan are a young wizard and his guardian. And they're on a Sweet. giant. They're on a giant uh, elephant. And they're on their way to Lumpland because there's three main city states um, in this in our story so far. In the beginning of our story, and each one has its own wizard. And each wizard is sort of the nuclear deterrent. Like we won't mess with your city. You don't mess with our city. Mm-hmm. We have a wizard. So everyone is there's sort of a magical detente, like no one messes with anyone else because they all have these wizard nukes and um, the, and they live to be a very, very, they're very old and they're very powerful and they're the only ones that can do magic. It's a very small select group of families that have the, the ability to use magic and be wizards. And so the one the wizard uh, in Lumpland has died um, mysteriously and his replacement is on the way to Lumpland and that's that little kid. Um, that we see in the and not this, he's he's the same age as Peachy. They're about the same size, um, and the caravan is on the way to the city, and it gets attacked by centaurs and ro- and some uh, some soldier guys. And basically, the the wizard, the young wizard, and his guardian get killed, and then the the whole caravan gets attacked, and everyone gets slaughtered in the caravan, except that Peachy and Rondo's uh, wagon goes over the side of the cliff. Um, and then they, uh, and then that's where the first issue kind of ends. Like they go over the side of the cliff, so they're not dead. Um, but then in the net, the rest of the story, what happens is they wind up um, surviving the attack and deciding that in, instead of going back to where they were from or going back to Lumpland, where they're going to basically be hung or um, put in jail. Peachy comes up with the idea is like, instead of doing that, it would be better if they took the, the places of the dead wizard and the guardian, took their identities, went to Lumpland as those new recruits, as the new wizard and his guardian, steal a bunch of stuff, and then leave. So, <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, the, the, I, I love, I think there was an Ocean's Eleven part of it you were pitching me. <laughs> right. And that's where it comes in. It's just like, that's, that's perfect. It's, yes. it's, it's I great. Love it. And pretending right. to be wizards. So they're going to have to do shenanigans to, pr- to prove right. that they're wizards. Oh, this mm-hmm. is great. Yeah, yeah. So, so Peachy, so Rondo is a great fighter, but he's not a knight. 
you know, he, he doesn't wear armor. He's a, he's a swashbuckler. He, um, he's a fencer and he's a great swordsman, but he mostly plays the mandolin on, you know, and gets in trouble. And then Peachy is a, he's a pickpocket and he's super clever, sort of a street urchin. And, and when Rondo brings up, he's like, but you don't know any magic. <laughs> right? And so Peachy's like, ah, you can fit that. Like, come on. No one really does magic. Like he's like, no one really does magic. It's all bullshit. So, um, they wind up assuming these uh, personas and then they go to the city and uh, it turns out that there is a plot to kill, like the wizard was killed by someone and there is a plot to kill the king and take over the city. Um, and yeah. that, so and they're, now, now they're embroiled in it because they yeah, still think the wizards, oh. They still think, right. the, they think Peachy's the wizard and so now everyone's trying to kill him and Rondo because they, they took <laughs> these characters that have a mark on their back. So, wow. so, so now they're dealing with that and... Um, and the princess is trying to figure out who's trying to kill her dad. There's been there are, there are assassination attempts, and then all, while that, all that is happening, the the city is preparing for the huge welcoming ceremony where Peachy does huge acts of magic, um, <laughs> and it's like it's supposed to be a big show that he puts on this act of magic for the whole city. Um, and then Rondo is is also has to be in this tournament where the guardian proves he's the guardian of the wizard and so defeats all comers in this tournament so he has to prepare for this tournament and keep from being assassinated and try and keep his rondo alive and keep this like keep keep the king like and figure out what's going on so there's it's definitely there's um there's a comedic sort of uh you know absurdity to it but it turns out that peachy actually can't like can learn magic and Rondo is a really great guardian. And so they wind up saving the city and they wind up saving the king and they, they, they become the heroes that they never wanted to be. So in that regard, it's just a very classic yeah. fantasy story. But the characters, I think, have so – I mean, they kind of came to life for James and I. Like we started talking about them. And then once we knew who the characters were, everything just sort of sprouted from that. It all became very – like, oh, well, this is what they would do this situation mm-hmm. so 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 this is so interesting because now this is this episode is kind of about uh just talking to you about this this thing that you made but it's also about the idea of independent comics mm-hmm. and i gotta say this is one of those scenarios where there isn't a lot of options for you to make this within the the tentpole of either image dc or marvel for the right. most part and well, like, I mean, you can't tell the Doctor Strange version of this story. You know what I mean? No. Like, I it's it, that's what's so cool is that independent comics give you this ability to tell a a, a little more of a of a different type of story than you would get from your traditional uh, comic books. So, that's well, I just, think one of the yeah, exactly. One of the things about I mean, I've worked for Marvel and DC, and one of the things about those characters is like they will go through change, but the thing that makes them viable is that they are basically the same every month so that's kind of what you want you want a kyle rayner adventure but i mean when 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 people when when hal became a villain that was bad right so like you can't really change stuff and i do think that a lot of these characters are the the parameters are a bit written in stone so i think that with a new comic and a new idea and an independent idea that you can play with old themes in a fresh way and you can make new connections with the, with the fans. That's awesome. So go ahead, go ahead, Bill. Well, I also wanted to branch that off into the artistic conversation. And I think 
you're working in sort of a rich tradition in independent comics of being able to go places with your art that you really couldn't in the monthly grind of a mm -hmm. Marvel or DC. And I, I mean, I think that goes all the way back to something like ElfQuest, Richard oh, yeah. Corbin's work, oh, a lot yeah. of the metal or Lance heavy metal guys, you yeah. know, I, I love that personally. And it's always been so strange to me that more of comics fandom hasn't embraced that ability to just go wild on the page when you're not stuck to the, 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 you know, uh, bullpen sort of tropes and, and schedule. I think that, I mean, cause a lot of these guys, like guys like Alan Davis do an amazing book every month and can, can do everything. But like, I do think that for most humans, the, the time it takes to, to, to draw stuff is one thing, but then the time it takes to figure out what that stuff is, is something that was almost never really given to artists. And I think it's, um, that's why there are so few guys who did it great. Like Jack Kirby would create shit on the fly. Sure. Right. He would just, but that, but he's remarkable. No one, no one can do that. Right. Like it's, um, yeah. right. So, and that's why I think that the, a lot of comics have a, a, a certain language of like, Oh, this is this kind of character. This is that kind of build. And I do think that that's, that's a time constraint issue more than anything else is like, you got to do a minimum of a page a day. Back mm -hmm. in the day, Gil Kane would do several and Kirby would do three or four and like John Buscema would lay out five and he would just like, he just, you're just going. And yeah. so you had to feed the machine. I think one of the things about being an independent creator is that I have also, it's one of the reasons it takes a book to make so long is that you, your other job pays for your passion. So I do a lot of storyboards and commissions and other stuff to, to pay the bills. And then when it comes to rogues, it's just, how cool can I make this? How, yes. how, yeah, right. Uh, yeah. Right. So Dude, this, uh, uh, this one, that one will, I just, we'll, we'll go back to it. I just want to say that is one of the coolest drawings. I know you don't like the legend words, <laughs> but dude, that that conveys so much information. Let's just take oh. a look at that right there. <clears throat> we talk about like one of my favorite things that you do that I think you you and I'm, you know, when I say this, I'm not blowing smoke up your ass, to be okay. clear. I one of the things you do better than anyone is a fight scene. Mm. There is no you don't have to put a swish sound, you don't have to put any movement. Uh, bars in this we know exactly what is happening from this 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 one panel what this fight is looking like how this lady's kicking this dude's ass you already know yeah thanks yeah i've I put a lot of i've put a lot of thought into making sure that the the action conveys the story as much as possible um because clearly like he's taking a huge swing at her and she's sidestepping it, but she also could be stabbing him. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Like that's, she, she's not, she's not stabbing him, which right. is it's a purely defensive position as opposed to like attacking him back. Yeah. She's like, okay. I mean, for me, the fight's over. I mean, the fight's over. He's taking wild swings and he's tough, but like it's never, she's never really in any danger. Mm. Yeah. I get that completely from that drawing. It's also remarkable. I mean, again, we're talking about the level of detail. You know, you could tell that those weapons aren't just something that you scattered down on the page. Like you put oh, some yeah. thought into those individual <laughs> weapons. Yeah. And even down to like the crowd gathered in the background, that's not just a bunch of quick drawn ovals with a couple dots and lines. Like it's <laughs> people, you know? And and again, I 
I really appreciate that. I, you know, independent comics is such a wide swath of different creative expressions. Like you mm-hmm. can get something like this, which is very detailed and meticulously worked on in the vein of, you know, a world building fantasy novel. And you can also get the stuff that's a little bit more sketchy slice of life, autobio comics. Right. But I want to ask you from inside the world of independent comics, do you feel like that model doing things outside the big two or even the big three, if you include image is changing and if so, how? Well, so I'm pretty new to Kickstarter. Like I've been, I've been, I've gotten many projects off. I bought and supported many campaigns because there's just a, there's, it's, it's such a, it's such a, I don't niche isn't the right word, but like, it's such a refined collector mentality or it's just such a specific thing. Like if you want, like I, I recently bought the, um, the, the, um, the John Sable freelance, huge compendium done by Mike Rell with new material in it. And it's, it's a comic that I loved as a kid. I loved it so much that when the show came on, I, I was excited about the show um, back in the, the late eighties. And so, and he, the book came out and it was great. And I have them and I have really fond memories of them, but he wanted to do more stories and he wanted to finish the saga. And there's not really a marketplace for an old, you know, eighties character done by Mike Rell. I, I think they're, our fans out there, but for a hundred dollar book with extra stuff in it, like that's a very specific group of people and Kickstarter makes that really easy to find. So mm. if you want, if you're looking in like, this is like fan, rogues kingdom is fun fantasy. Um, but it's not, it's not superheroes. And so a lot of times, I don't know a lot of people, I mean, I love superheroes too, but like finding a new fantasy thing, it's a very specific group of people and and Kickstarter makes it very easy. Like they recommend stuff. Their way of cross promotion is fantastic. And I do think that that's something that the independent comics have more, especially Kickstarter. Mm. I have found that all the creators on Kickstarter are super, not just willing, but eager to promote your thing. Like, Oh, you have a fantasy thing. I have a fantasy thing. Oh, you okay. do this kind of thing. I do. I will. Uh, it's, it's much more of a camaraderie than I've ever noticed before on comic books. Like the other well, companies don't support the other companies. Like they're not well, going to be like, if you like Superman, you'll like <laughs> this. That right. doesn't happen. <laughs> well, speaking to that though, you do have um, an extra, like you, you've had a car- partnership with another fantasy creator and you're going to be sending out along with your book uh, mm-hmm. when people reach a certain tier. Can you talk to that? Cause that, that's exactly what you're talking about. You're going to send yeah. out somebody else's book along with your book. That nobody does that. So, so talk about that. That's very cool. Well, so we um, were uh, inked um, is a uh, ink studios is the, the, the people, Kevin's guy who's helping me with the Kickstarter. Cause it's a, it's a, it's a lot of stuff to know. And uh, one of the things that is, is seems like is pretty common is if you, they also have other creators. And so if you reach a stretch goal, I will send you one of their books as a bonus. And then they'll send you, if they reach their stretch goal, they'll send one of my books as a bonus. So if you like fantasy stuff, you're going to get, and you support me, you're also going to get this extra fantasy stuff of someone you might also really like. So it doesn't, um, it doesn't cost the fan anything extra. It's kind of like, it's like, it's like being candid a free, like, Oh, you like Lord of the Rings. You like, you might like Michael Moorcock, right? Like sure. there's, and I think that that's a, like, that's just is it's a way to lift each other up in a way. I'm sorry, did you say his name was Moorcock? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Ron, Ron you always, you always <laughs> got to go for the low-hanging fruit, Ron. <laughs> that's, Sorry, man. That's How did I miss that joke? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, Michael Big Dick was never as popular. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> That's why he changed his name. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> and that's why Elric had that big ass sword, exactly. big black sword. All right, stop it, guys. Okay, listen. <laughs> it's money in the bank. Um, <laughs> so I do, I do think that there is, and and the competition is always healthy, and it's it's good. But I do think that as as the idea of like, oh, I'm a Marvel light or I'm a DC guy, I do think that's an outdated concept. And I I like mm. the idea of being able to like. To, to to make the fan the focus again, right? Yeah. Um, instead of like having, oh, we're going to do this, we're going to have another relaunch because we can, so we can get another number one so that you're forced to buy a thing. I do find that that mm-hmm. sort of predatory consumerism is, it, mm-hmm. that's run its course in comics. Yeah, and this is a better way to do it because if you think about it, so, okay, so I'm going to get this guy's book because I bought your book. Now the next, if I love his book, the next time he does another Kickstarter, I'm gonna throw in twenty bucks to his Kickstarter, right? And and get that, and then I'm probably gonna get some other book, and then maybe I make another fan that way, yeah. And then all of a sudden, we're supporting a bunch of different people, and 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 then and when each person supports another person for being artistic, we right. all expand. You know, I know communism is thrown around as a bad thing, but let's <laughs> just think of that as a commune of people who are yeah. nice. Well, and I, sharing and community. Yeah. I, I was going to say, I think that there's been kind of since the birth of the internet, there's been this ideal of creating something like an artist's collective where mm. you're not working under the auspices of a company. You know, mm. you don't have to share control with some corporate entity, but everybody mutually benefits. And like, I wasn't aware that this sort of thing was happening because I'm not a huge Kickstarter backer. I've backed a few over the years. Right. But that's kind of amazing because that is what artists have been trying to do since the dawn of the internet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because okay. I- well, and I read a tweet and Twitter's a dumpster fire, but mm-hmm. I did read a tweet that was very uh that spoke to this a little bit, what we're talking about as far as independent, as far as not having a company behind you. They said some of y'all need to start following creators the way that you follow characters, uh-huh. you'll feel better about your fucking self or something like that. And it's because characters will always be whatever they need to be for the present time. They'll live forever. They'll never die. They'll change it to a red and blue energy man for no fucking reason for a while. They'll do a lot of stuff on you, but they'll always go back to their other way. And like, if you don't, if you follow the character and you go, Superman would never be a warlord that's a blue energy man that is also a moon that is also he's Lois Lane now all those things that you don't have to worry about that when you're following creators because right. creators will make stories end stories make characters kill characters uh look at the stuff that uh that uh homeboy put Cerebus through oh yeah 300 issues there's things like that that you can do when you're the creator the creator is the juice mm-hmm. you know what i mean there's there's a different economy if you look at most big two, uh, big two comics, yes, people care about who who wrote it and drew it a lot, but there are people who are just picking up Batman. There right. are people who are just picking up X. If they don't get the Batman they thought of in their mind when they were ten, then they're all dissatisfied. Well, guess what? You don't have to fuck with that at all. You can <laughs> you can right. figure out how. I'm not talking about fuck with big two comics at all, right. but you don't have to mess with those feelings at all. You can follow the people who drew Batman the way you want to draw him. And read those. And similarly with independent comics, the people who generate the stories you like, the people who do the work you like. I've, I'll read Lee Bermijo anything. 
You know what I mean? I, I follow him more than I would follow Batman. I follow you more than I would follow Wonder Man. Right. They're, they're, when people really clue into the creator part and the creator voice as part of their appreciation of comics, that's what fuels this new economy. And that's what's so exciting about it is that finally the creator not only gets their due until they sell out to DC – Sure. No diss. But, you know, it's, 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 not, it's not about but, that. It's about you getting all your shekels. It's you being the, the engine and the thing that people follow. Yeah. I, like, like in this character specifically, mm-hmm. uh, how did you come up with this character in this one? So the 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 guy with the, the three prong uh, gauntlets or with uh, Terra? Tara, your main your main character. Although, if you have a backstory for this guy, which I'm not surprised if you do, oh, I, I have I have a backstory and I have a future plan for him. Yeah, no, oh. yeah, he's got he's got a full arc. <laughs> yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, so so Tara is um, she's she she's, she's the, the she's like princess, I said she's the daughter right? of the king. She's the princess. Yeah. Um, How did you come and, up with that concept first, by the way, what, when you were coming up with the whole story idea where you guys were just chatting it up and we're like, we want a princess all, that. That was all James. It, I think, okay. I think, I don't know where he came up with the concept. Cause we were, we were talking mostly about Beachy and Rondo and like, that was the story. That was the, the plot device that we were really kind of playing with in the beginning. And then that, like he, he came up with this cool princess character. Like she's, and she dressed. She's the. She's our Batman. She's our Zorro. She's you know. She's that that character who's in disguise. Um, and then uh, and and so that, I mean that's all that's all James. And then I just really wanted her to be. Um, I worked in a book a while ago called The Way of the Rat, and uh, one of the characters in it was uh, she was also a princess. She actually wasn't the princess. She was the princess's maiden, the handmaiden. Mm-hmm. Um, so she was in the court and she was all along and she was very unassuming. Um, and then when shit got real, she, she jumped, she jumped out. It's, I mean, it's a classic character. It's a, it's a, you know, it's a standard trope that's kind of a, she's kind of a superhero. Um, and then I really wanted uh, to kind of use a lot of that uh, design theory I used in a way of the rap for the silken ghost, which is flowing cloth and moving stuff. And um and I gave her, so she has a bunch of, she has those cool uh, long daggers and she has a bunch of throwing knives. Um, and she is just a general badass who dresses in rags. So to make it even more unlikely that someone would think of her as the princess. So that was, um, I think every, I think every good fantasy story has to have, you know, a hidden, like a hidden secret Batman Zorro kind of <laughs> character who does the thing like, because fantasy stuff, you always want to have the king and princesses. You want to have that royal action. You want to have that stuff happening in the palaces and in the, in the throne room. But, like, you don't want that guy to – I mean, if that guy's going to be – like, that, it's boring if that guy's Conan all the time. So you kind of want some secrets. And she is that secret person. Like, even her dad doesn't know. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that one of the things that happens in issue two is she prote- – she, protects him from a, um, a, an assassin's arrow. Um, and then she's looking at the arrow and she's like, Oh, this is, it's got these markings. Like what? That's so weird that it was coming from there. And his first thought was like, how do you know anything about arrows? You're like, <laughs> so she, she, she almost gives it away. You're like, Oh shit. Um, and so I think playing that, playing with that, I love secret identities. I mean, I yeah. love Peter Parker. I love, I mean, I love all that stuff. So she gets to be kind of our secret identity superhero. 
There's that, shades of even like the uh, Batgirl Jim Gordon relationship yeah, in what exactly. you're saying. Uh, which is another great thing about, you know, one of the other things you can kind of do on the sly when you're doing your own book, as opposed to trying to work within the parameters of an established universe, is like you can still use some of those story ideas or character dynamics that would work well in your favorite characters. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you just put it into your thing. Is that right. something that like comes to mind even when you and James are collaborating, for example? I think what happens is you you have the language of what a what kind of character of types of character just in your head. Sure. And so when you go like, Oh, we really need the, the, you know, the precocious scamp character mm. here. And then you have basically a litany of those in your head and you're like, okay. And so you kind of pick and choose. Um, Rondo is, he's not an original character. He is a very original for me, but like he's a wandering sword fighting troubadour who has sex with the wrong women. Right. Like that is, <laughs> Hell it's yeah. almost cliche, but he's such a cool archetype um, that I've always wanted to draw that character. Yeah, he's even oh. got my name, which is literally perfect <laughs> because if I just had a sword. Yeah, yeah. It would have been a, a story of my life. Yeah, you can you play, the, you play the mandolin, don't you? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> hey, fucking mandolin karaoke. Um, <laughs> yeah. But basically, the I, I love the the I love like uh mike mignola on fafford and the gray mouser oh yeah that stuff and, is classic. and i don't really you know you know y'all know me i don't really fuck with magic and, <laughs> and fantasy worlds are are sometimes too dense for me and too mm. um to i don't know some of the some, i don't get into them enough to learn all the rules so i can appreciate the fact that the wizard had to like squeeze out five drops of blood and find some newt while he was running away from assassin's daggers and then he mixed it up. You know what I mean? That I, I don't really get into it like that, but like when, when you do action it up, like I just did, that's mm -hmm. good. I like that. Like John wick putting together the gun to shoot the guys coming through the door, but it's with right. magic shit like that gets, I love that. And it seems like you're really tapping into that with your different sorts of characters and what uh, the lineage I, I'm real anti-lineage guy, but it's good that you're using such um, lineage to make magic in this world because mm -hmm it excludes people like Peachy. And Peachy's like, well, fuck that. I'm just going to pretend. You know what right. I mean? I, I love that. Well, and I then mean, it turns it, out that the lineage is bullshit, right? I mean, it is bullshit. Yeah. So mm -hmm. the, it's the, it's the lie that, that everyone yes. is told that only certain people can use magic, even though there's magic everywhere and there's centaurs and animal people mm -hmm. and fairies and dragons and all that stuff. Ah, the dragons. Common, yeah, the comp yeah, the yeah, dragons. There's gonna be some cool dragons. There's a whole in yes. in the in the next story arc, there's an entire an entire mountain top has been carved into a city by by dragons. And at the top are where the bigger dragons live, and as you go lower and lower in the city, they become like the sm smaller and smaller and less they don't have wings and they do more like the actual work of a city. So like I've been designing basically uh the, if the Himalayas were carved into um, a, a classic, almost Roman city. What that would look like. So I've been working on that. But like, I'm so gonna, pumped about that. I'm, I'm excited to see that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That sounds amazing. <laughs> it's gonna it's gonna be super super cool. Um, and you have to take a a, a classic fantasy balloon airship to get there. So it's gonna oh, it's all that. Yeah, <laughs> this is great. <laughs> yeah, this is. Awesome. I feel like this is for me. Um, I just gotta say, Ron's uh, drooling at the yeah, all is, these. I'm so excited. Right. Well, I mean, so so that one of the things I love about great stories is great fantasy or science fiction is like, yes, you have 
they're remarkable and they're fantastic, but also a really good story always has real characters dealing with real stuff. Yeah. And, uh, and one of the things that, that I find really fascinating about the story James and I written is like, it's the match. Anyone can do magic. Anyone could do it except that no one's been told they can. And, and the secrets to doing it have been kept secret. So this potential wonderful thing for humanity is just kept in the hands of these very few people um, and they've got everyone thinking that they're nuclear weapons. And then Peachy gets in there and he finds out, I was like, Oh no, anyone can do this. In fact, I'm better at this than any of them because I come at it in a way that they're, they're, they're stuck, right? They have too much structure. They have too much tradition. They, they're not thinking clearly about how to do it. And so there's, you'll like this Ron. at one point he, and this is a couple of story arcs away there is a wizard battle that he has to go up against the other wizards to prove himself. And uh, they think he cheats, but mostly he just outsmarts them. Like there's one where the, uh, I can't wait to draw this someday. He's you create these um, basically remember that scene in um, uh, big trouble in little China where they make the right. Ron knows exactly what I'm talking about. So <laughs> they do that, but with, with smoke, so they light candles and they make they use their willpower to turn the smoke into avatars. Yeah, and uh, the contest is to defeat the avatar. And at one point, Peachy throws a rock at the the wizard he's fighting, and it hits the wizard in the head, and his concentration goes. And then Peachy's avatar <laughs> defeats his avatar, and they're like, "You cheated!" He's like, "You lost your you you couldn't maintain concentration. Like you obviously you stuck." <laughs> So I did uh, my avatar beat your avatar. If throwing rocks wasn't in was against the rules, you should have put that in the rules. So yeah. that's, he, that's always the, the air bud exception. You know, what I mean? <laughs> exactly right. That's a hundred percent. So I think his approach, Peachy's approach to magic, he winds up becoming a very powerful wizard because he's not uh, hobbled by, by oh, yeah, 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 all their old ideas. <laughs> Or yeah, dogma. Awesome. It's a, 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 yeah. all dogma is not stupidity, but the Venn diagrams overlap very they well. They do, right? <laughs> yeah, some, some tradition is fantastic. Like, yeah. Um, but also, if if the tradition is why an old guy can do it and a young guy can't, that's usually going to mm-hmm. be a problem. Mm-hmm. Or a poor guy can't do it, or a rich guy can, and so exactly. on. Exactly. So I mean, and that's really what we're talking about is like the 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 resources that people are allotted. Can you talk a little bit about your collaboration with James Robinson? I, I'm sure a lot of our listeners will know who he is, but you right. know, just to refresh them, you know, he really broke huge with Starman in the, oh, in yeah. the mid '90s at DC. But he's done a ton of work, and you've done a ton of work with him. Um, so this is actually the first time we've done anything together. I've done really? a ton of yeah. So, but it's fun, yeah because James and I have known each other since since Malibu days. Yeah. So okay. So maybe, yeah, maybe you guys are just on parallel tracks. You know, we've, I been, sworn. we've been tangential a lot, but like yeah. never actually on a project. So he worked on firearm. I worked on uh solitaire. He was at DC when I was at DC, he was doing stuff with Paul Smith. Um, he did uh, the golden age, which is incredible. Yeah. Um, he did leave it to chance. So he, uh, his star man stuff is incredible. So yeah, we've been, friends and side by side for a lot of stuff, but this is actually the first time we're really doing something together. So it's, um, it's been really, really great. And we both took a break from comics for a while. I did animation. He's been writing screenplays and TV. And, uh, and then uh, a few years ago, we started talking about like, let's do a comic. Let's, let's make a comic. And, um, 
one thing I want to ask really quickly is, okay, I've noticed that I did. I think he worked with either Tommy Lee Edwards or Tony Harris before. Mm-hmm, Tony Harris. Mm-hmm. He's worked with you. It seems like there's some sort of connectivity with like this sort of, and with uh, Paul Smith, right? On Leave yeah. It to Chance. So there's, it seems that, and when he's looking for collaborators, he's not looking for, uh, it seems like you guys have a very clean style, a very mm. like economical, even though it may be l- laden with detail mm-hmm. style. Is that something that he's talked to you about as far as like why he likes working with you? Or I just noticed that as a through line, there's not a lot of sloppy, shadowy art in comics written by James Robinson. It seems to be clean, clear, detailed, but not too much so. Is you know, that I, is that something? I don't know if we've never talked about a con like consciously, and I don't know if he has a conscious if he's choosing artists because of their style. I think one of the things James and I have bonded on, I know that he's bonded with his other artists in the same level, is for him the most important thing is a clear, concise story. Like that mm. the that the what's happening is conveyed with as few not I know bells and whistles is the right, but it's like as subtly and as smoothly as possible. Mm. James wants James wants the comic book experience and the the reading experience to be immersive. And so I do think that a simpler style, you know, like uh like a Paul Smith or a mine or um even a Tony Harris back in the day, like it's 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 representative. Like, oh, that's what's happening. You can just look at it and you just automatically mm. know what's going on. Um and I think that that's I think I think that just sort of comes out when you're working on a James project is like, Oh, this is, I see it so clearly. Like I can take a snapshot of like, this is what's happening. Um, and it doesn't need like, and a lot of times it's not served by lots of line work or heavy cast shadows or, mm. or um, over the top drawing. Mm. Yeah. So, but no, it's, okay, an so- it's an interesting question. I think, I, I think maybe he's, I know he's drawn to storytellers. And I just wonder if that's something that um, yeah. we all have in common. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, so here's that's interesting. You made me think, like, when do you know when you're working on something like this? When do you know something's supposed to be more tight and simple or more complicated? Like, how do you decide that? What, what, what storytelling thing is the thing that makes you go, okay, I got to add more lines to the muscles or mm. – the whatever that is. I don't know exactly what that is because obviously I'm not an artist, but you know what I'm saying? I think I do. I think that a lot of it is what you're trying to convey, right? Like I, I think that there's some artists are trying to convey um, a, a picture in space. Like, Oh, this is a, a freeze frame of this, this tableau is, is here. And so they will do amazing work. They, they'll, they'll light it and they'll put line where like Barry Windsor Smith does this is like, each each picture, each Barry Winter Smith thing is it exists in three dimensional space. I think he renders it. He everything and there's a, the, everything has the right shadow and it's the right the the all the textures are are there. Um, and some artists approach stuff that way. I I'm much more trying to capture a moment in time. So it's just it's more of a snapshot of like oh that moment is happening and then you move on. Um, and so I have a lot. So I try to have my stuff not get weighed down in in that moment. I want you, like if I want you to spend a lot of time in a in a picture in a, in a in a panel, I will layer the the lines to guide your eye in in a certain way, and then make it stop. 
Um, but mostly I want you to see it, get the information and then move on. I want the, the, the text and the story and the, what, what's happening to be the driving force, not how it's happening. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah. Moment in time. Uh, kind of like this one with this like super cool water Buffalo and right. we're kind of going through like the, the, the field there's like, po- like not there's a poppy fields, but there's like flowers and, mm-hmm. and uh, going through the Canyon and stuff. And, and he is, yeah, he's sitting there with the reins uh, in his lap a certain way, like you were talking about. Earlier. Right, right. Yeah, well, I wanted, so that, that is, the, if, if you look at just the, the composition of the panel, like it forms, if you squint, you can kind of see that the, the, the way the carriage back there and the, the, the cart and the, the buffalo, it forms like a kind of an arrow pointing back to the sword uh, sitting next to him. Um, and so I don't want to make a big deal out of it, but I wanted to make sure that while you're reading it, you saw it and you, and I show it before I show it in other places too. So I want to make sure that, cause that's going to become important later. And so I want, as we're moving basically away from them talking, going down the sunflower pass, um, past the Buffalo, but like the, I want you to see that moment understand what's happening and then have that the lingering idea of the sword sitting in front. Um, and that's all, that's all the information you're really supposed to get from that. Right. And so then like you see the sword again, he's moving, he's talking and you get like, um, and so they're moving forward as we move the camera in, I want you to know that there's people in the, in the cart. So that's where my heavy blacks are and my intersecting bar lines pull mm. your, your eye in. And also once again, the angle of the sword kind of points into and everything points yeah. into that area so mm-hmm. i want your eye to go to yeah. and then you're in right and so um and then this is these are the characters and so you see them in a distance kind of like you're like you're it's a long shot pulling into a close shot um yeah and then the information i want you to get is that rondo's a bit beat up they're both in manacles and they're in bars and the world is green and pretty outside around them and that's not mm-hmm. a world they can get to so mm-hmm. I want all that stuff to be immediate, if not subconscious, but something that you don't, that I don't want you to, li- I don't, if you ever linger on a panel um, and admire the artwork, I, I feel like I've almost failed in what I want to do. I want you to, to see it, experience it, understand it, get the information, get the story um, and then move on. Right. I want, I want, I want you to slide along the, the drawings and the storytelling and so that you when when the end comes i want it to be a surprise so say i love i love this part where um we're seeing a, a long panel uh horizontal uh mm-hmm. and i love how it's kind of going up it's got this pyramid shape but you see the per, this procession mm-hmm. and you know our prisoners are at the back of it right, right. Mm-hmm. And so, like, our prisoners in that world and what they're doing is the least of this. And we start out with, like, a beautiful horse leading a giant elephant, an elephant that's bigger than any elephant I've ever seen. Right. <laughs> and, and it's like just you could see the progression of this procession going back to the losers in the back. Mm-hmm. The losers and the prisoners in the back. The kingly people, the big people are on uh, elephants and stuff leading the procession. Right. It's very clear. And then, like, that little bit of ancient architecture left, like, Somebody built real architecture in the middle of this rocks and shit. Why the fuck did they do that? Fantasy stuff. Don't worry Fantasy about it right stuff. now. <laughs> <laughs> it's magic. <laughs> yeah. Right. 
I just want to add, this is definitely a panel worth lingering on, though. It I, is. Uh, <laughs> again, like, the detail work just in that, in the, the sunflowers, um, mm. both communicating the perspective and, like, the density of that field is pretty amazing. And then also just beautiful uh, rocky backdrop there uh, with the rolling, the rolling hills kind of leading up into the cliffs. I, I don't know. This is just a... This is one that I would linger on. <laughs> oh, thanks, Bill. Yeah. 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 This is the one I would linger on. Oh, with a, yeah, I think Brendan did such a great job. He, he the way he lit the water was a surprise yes. to me. It's so luminescent. Yes. I'm like, oh, there's, it's, it's just, it brings the eye in and it, he, it, it moves, right? There's mm -hmm. a, there's a vibration to it that I really like. Yeah. He did a great job. So can I ask at what point, you know, you and James Robinson, talk about you're finally collaborating. Um, he's got this idea. You guys build it together. At what point do you decide rather than pitch this to image or dark horse, we're going to turn this into a Kickstarter and why do you make that decision? Well, okay. So that's a, it's a, it's a very, it's a good question and a bit of a, um, an embarrassment for me is that <laughs> we were originally going to do it at image. We sold it to image first. We sold it to image when it was called sell sword and son. Okay. And um, they they were really great and they were excited about it. And then I got into it and then I just took too long. I just took mm. too long doing stuff. And um, there was no way that uh, I was able to, to, to just do it because you, you, you do it and then you hand it over to them. And there was just no way that I was going to be able to, to make it work. I was too slow. I was doing other stuff. I kept getting distracted. And so James finally came up with the idea is like, listen, this is taking you forever. You're not going to get it done in a timely fashion at all while you're doing other work. Um, so we have to figure out a way that you can just do this. And Kickstarter was the answer. So we decided to, uh, so we called, we talked to image. We're like, we, we can't do it. Um, and so the Kickstarter will allow us to make enough money to put out the first issue and hopefully for me to finish the second issue and then just keep, doing it that way. And so far so good, but yeah, I mean, that's, uh, it would have been at the image and it would have been glorious, but I just couldn't get it done. <laughs> no, I, I, do. I appreciate your honesty and that. Yeah. I mean, that's a super valid explanation. I also yeah. think though that that speaks to another part of this whole, you know, doing independent comics approach is you're changing the distribution model a little bit. Yeah. Because Image, as much as Marvel or DC or anybody else, Image is still slave to, you know, your previews magazine or whoever they're using to distribute now. And, mm -hmm. you know, you got to have your solicitations out at a certain time. And if the books aren't on the shelf in the comic book shop, the Wednesday right. Warriors aren't going to be there to pick it up. Right. And so that's where it kind of intersects with this idea that you have more of a niche audience. Um, did you talk to anybody to kind of shape your thinking about how to package it for Kickstarter and who that audience might be versus like regular comic readers? I did. So I, I'm very lucky that I know uh, a lot of people who have had lots of successful Kickstarters. Mm -hmm. um, Jimmy Palmiotti, Dan Berardin, um, my friend Ryan Kincaid, uh, my friend Curtis and Patrick, they've, they've, they're, um, I've done podcasts with them. Like they're amazing, successful Kickstarter um publishers, I guess basically would be the word. And so I reached out to them and they gave me all kinds of really fantastic advice about how to get started, how to fill out all the, you mean how to do behind the scenes stuff. Um, but once again, it goes back, like there's a community there who are willing to, to invite you in and give you all the secrets. Um, it's amazing to me. They're like, Oh, I made this mistake. Don't make that mistake. Like there's, it's so supportive. Um, 
and like they really want it's it's weird like they really want the competition to succeed that is yeah i mean yeah, that's it's, tri- yeah. it's trippy. That's very inspiring yeah yeah well the rising well, tide lifts I... all ships that whole thing yeah yep I, I want to bring up something maybe that is taboo but i just want to talk about it a little bit because i think it's one of those things that when we don't talk about this stuff i think it gets lost out in the world and uh i know everybody hates to say these words but money yeah so the thing is i once looked up how much the average comic book artist made mm. and i want you to know that is the same amount of money that i make delivering weed yeah <laughs> it's about thirty-eight thousand dollars a year to be yeah, a comic yeah. book artist which is i want to say fucking insane Right. And, and and let's talk about like when you're an author, like a, a, a fantasy author, a good fantasy author puts out a, a, a book about every two years. Mm. Honestly, usually right. about every two years, a good one. There's the some Patrick guys Rothman who can book is taking 10. Yes, yeah. exactly. We're talking guys who they can take years and years to put out this stuff. They're they're doing the work that we've just talked about. Mm-hmm. They're they're figuring out how long it takes to someone to get across the city. Exactly. They're, right. They're yeah. figuring out the stuff that tells the the truth and the story that really brings out the things that you care about when you read this stuff. Mm-hmm. And so uh, for instance, this, this uh, thing that you guys were trying to do was trying to raise about $12,000, right. which sounds like a lot of money to some people's brain. But when you look at how long it takes to do a great job on the art that you put together, the story right. that you're trying to tell, it's not even that much money. And, no. I, and I just I just want to point that out. And, oh. and, I, and I want to point that out because I want people who are listening to understand how important it is to support independent creators in these scenarios. Because and, and also not to back their off. asses off. Yeah, right. exactly. And also not to back off once it's fully funded. Because exactly. fully funded means I have the baseline amount to make it by the skin of my fucking teeth. The right. stretch goals are what enable him to have a fucking latte for Christ's sake <laughs> while he's drawing the next right. the next thing. You know what I'm saying? And because I know the goal, uh, the goal is for you to not have to draw your your storyboards for some right. random place that it calls you up because you're Jeff Johnson and you did storyboards for Ultimate Spider-Man and a bazillion other things, right. you know. It, it, the goal is to be able to make your own comic in that scenario for the year or two or however long you're doing it. And then if you feel like going back to storyboarding, great. But like, that's the goal. And and if you don't, if people don't support this sort of thing, you you miss that goal. And I, and I just, I, 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 I know it's a hard thing to talk about because we're all worried about money all the time. Right. And it's, and it feels like uh, as a, as a comedian, I constantly have to deal with this thing where people think they can just get me for free. And I'm like, right. no, nah, dude this is 25 years of doing this shit. I'm great at standup. If you right. want me to come do your show and it isn't two, two miles from my house, you have to fucking pay me. Yeah. And it's, and, and it's like, I, I just want people to understand how long it takes and how much work goes into what we're working on and the independent comics, the independent artists in general of all types that we do out here. So that's that's why I want to bring that up, even though it makes me feel weird because, you know, oh, no, I'm, I'm happy to, to bring that. Well, one of the things I think is, well, there's there's a couple. My wife is a novelist and she experiences the same thing is like if you are a professional artist and you have some notoriety, I think the assumption is that you're rich, rich, that, you're, that yeah. you that you made bank. And the truth is, when I broke into comics in the in the early um, in, the, in the early 90s, my page rate was 60 bucks. 
60 bucks. That's how much I got paid for it. And that was, that was, <laughs> and so that was my, my, that I think, so if I did a page every day, which I could not do, <laughs> which, was, which was a struggle. It took me all week to do my five pages. And even then mm. I still needed a couple fill-ins for, um, for Wonder Man back in the day. And that's when I was young and desperate and hungry. Um, now I'm just desperate. So, <laughs> so 60 bucks and that was what I got. And so that's, you know, that is less than $10 an hour. All right. Mm-hmm. Back in the nineties, it way less because it took me way more than 10, mm-hmm. you know, six hours to do, to do a page. So, mm-hmm. um, and comics, the, my page rate at Marvel, even, even though I haven't done stuff for Marvel since I did those covers, the, um, those carnage covers, my page rate is still the same page rate I had back in the nineties. It's still 200 bucks. Um, and that's, if I can do a page in a day, which I can't, I can't do, right. That's 20 bucks an hour. If I can do it in 10, like, that's just, I'm not making like, you, yeah. you, you don't do the thing about it is like, you don't do this job to make a lot of money, right. You do this job because it's, it's like a cancer in your head that you have to get out. Right. It's, <laughs> it's, and so it's it's there is there there's a, a driving need and and uh, and when it comes to this Kickstarter, our original goal of uh, and James and I went back and forth trying to figure out what the right number is because the twelve fifty covers or twelve twelve thousand five hundred covers the printing cost, the shipping cost, the uh, paying our our letterer and um, getting the book put together, the final stages of it being put together. And um, we paid our, our alternate, our variant cover guys and um, Kickstarter takes some. And like, so in the end, James, like James and I will only get paid if the book does way better than our goal. So, Mm, um, and luckily the second one is pretty much finished except for the bells and whistles at the end with uh, putting it all together. Um, So we'll be able to put the second one out. And so we're, we don't need a lot, but we need enough to keep yeah. keep doing it because otherwise we run into my image problem, which is I have to take other work. I do commissions and I do all this stuff. I just it takes too long to do a book. Um, and what's funny is like, we don't need much. We just need to, we just need it consistently. Right. And so yeah. I think that's the mm-hmm. trouble with being a professional artist or a comedian or writer or filmmaker is like the dream is doing the stuff having the big, everyone thinks like, Oh, you, you know, you, what a big house. I'm like, ah, that stuff's not important. I mean, it's great. I mean, I, I love a latte, but like, sure. I really just want to <laughs> enough to do the next book, to get this stuff into the hands of people. So yeah, Ron, it's, it's tricky, man. It's cause you want you. And so you want to price the book to where it's not going to co- like, not going to cost you any money, which is tough because even a, a Kickstarter book is still 15 bucks, which is more than a comic. Like it's, it's expensive. Supporting yeah. the people that you love can be expensive. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And let me let me speak to that really quickly. Um, mm-hmm. I think uh, you know, um, having a girlfriend, I am um, <laughs> irradiated by fucking Food Network content. Right. Um. So uh, I got I, I got that in my bloodstream, and I'm really looking at how many times like Michelin star restaurants and stuff like that they have an entirely different clientele than McDonald's. Mm-hmm. I think comic book fans, by the looks of them eat a lot of fucking mcdonald's you know what i mean there's a there's a lot 
there's a lot of McDonald's going on in Ed, regards to. How dare you to, say that about me? <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? There's a lot of McDonald's mentality in regards to I could go here, the burger's going to be consistent, two pieces right. of cheese on top, two on the bottom, smeared yep. together, you know, five hours ago, and it's right. in my hand and it tastes just like the last one I ate, so on and so forth. I'm I, I, part of that culture too, still. But the point is. If I want a steak, I'm not going to go get McDonald's McSteakum or something. And right. I think a lot of people want Batman to be, or any any big two comic, to be this steak with shallots on it and butter sauce and shit. And it's fucking very rarely that. Mm-hmm. But if you get your mind right and know the places to go, i.e. Kickstarter, i.e. certain image books, right. i.e. some of these places, you can get what you really want. You mm-hmm. can get that 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 um that seared ahi whatever. You can get that you know uh, you know you can get that wasabi mayo on your thing. You can get all these different stuff that, that you can't get at McDonald's. And I just wish um I, I my ardent wish is for comic culture to kind of just grow up a little bit in regards to our support of the creator and our support of original ideas because it's the original ideas that make the art form flourish. When DC and Marvel start stealing from you guys and making those books smarter. It's all, it'll benefit us all. You know what I'm saying? If these books are viable, then it benefits us all in the long run. Does that make sense? It does. Totally. Well, also, I think that it's tough. Like one of the things that you want to do, I mean, I had great, I had great experiences at Marvel and DC back in the day. And I also had less than great experiences there. And I do think that when you're dealing with a company, you're dealing with a, a nameless and faceless entity. And one of the things that I love about comics is I love Walt Simonson said, I like to see the hand behind the drawing. And mm. I just thought that was a really great way to phrase that. It's like, cause I want a mm. John, I want to get a John Byrne book or I want to get, mm-hmm. a, you know, a Neil Gaiman book or like I'm responding to that person's soul on the page. And I think that's the thing. That's why you like, if you like a musician, you don't like, I mean, you don't, you don't go to see the cover band. You go to see the musician if you can't like, unless you can't mm-hmm. get that guy. So I think if, if comic book creators and creators in general, I mean, one of the things I can't stand is the idea of content being, you're making content. Mm-hmm. When that, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. phrase first started coming out a, a decade or so ago, I thought like that is the scummiest way for a marketing guy, for a lawyer to talk about art. And I think that we need more, we need more personal connection. We need more art, art, you know, we need in, mm-hmm. in our commercial art. Content was one of the ways. I mean, I remember when I wouldn't even say the word. I used to call it the C word. <laughs> right. And yeah. content was one of the ways that the fucking, and I don't want to go off on a rant here, but it's one of the ways these stupid ass AI fucks right. worm their way into thinking that they were actual artists. Because mm-hmm. once you take the art out of the word and you say, replace it with the content, well, fuck it, man. However we get it, baby. I right. put some words to a computer or I slay for 12 hours. Either way, it exists, right? right. So right. fuck it. It's all the same. No, it is not. No, it is not. No, yeah. it is not. So I, I thank, uh, thank you for making that point, that it's it, it's about us supporting these artists and their individual visions and stuff. And that's what the whole art form is supposed to be about. Right. But, you know, it got very quickly commercialized because they realized, hey, man, well, if, if, if um, one guy can do a comic strip, that 16 guys could do a comic book and you know, all, all this math starts coming in with the, the um, assembly line, but you guys aren't an assembly line. You're two guys, three guys, you know, however many right. sitting down thinking about what you're going to execute. 
mm-hmm. and finding a new model to how to do it. And that's that's what's so admirable about this. I wanted to ask you really quickly about your your average life as an artist. We talked about the money part. Oh, yeah. And we talked about how long it takes you to do comics. And we also talked about you doing storyboards to supplement your income. Mm-hmm. So uh, what other things you said, commissions and stuff, I would love to hear about your commissions process, because I would love for people who listen to this podcast to leave a five-star review. Cause this shit has been great content. You fucks. And, <laughs> and you, can, uh, uh, you can leave a five-star review and uh, talk to us. Uh, I'm going to read one at the end of this. Okay. Uh, but the bottom line is, uh, I want people to a commission you. So please tell them how they can do so. And okay. then tell me a little bit about your commission process and the types of, of ones that you get. Well, so, um, so commissions are really, it's an interesting side business that didn't really exist before. I mean, I, I've been doing con sketches for a long time, right? So you do, um, you go to a show and you see your artist, and you would, you would pay them a little bit, maybe get a, a sketch in a sketchbook or, or whatever. And so simple con sketches that were a, a piece of a memory, you know, a little, a token have become an entire cottage industry where some of the guys doing them are producing masterworks, gorgeous pieces of work, like the Chris Samney stuff. I don't know if you're familiar with his, oh, yeah. his work, that, right? His, his commissions are, they're expensive, but they are unbelievable. And you get these cool images um, from him of bat of your favorite characters that actually aren't happening in the book. Right. So it's, it's the, it's the Batman that you would want to see. It's that thing you're talking about Ed earlier. Like it's the, mm-hmm. it's the character that you, that you, that, that you are excited about, right? Because you can ask for it specifically. Um, so that has now become a kind of a business where I get, I've made, I've done more drawings of wonder man than I ever did when I was working on the book of just him. <laughs> right. So, and I love drawing that character, but like, apparently people like that character also when I draw them. Um, mm-hmm. and so, uh, I will get a lot of calls on, um, Facebook or Twitter or Instagram where people are looking to have an original Jeff Johnson wonder man drawing. Um, and so in the way that we used to do the logistic cons, thanks to social media, you can, if I'm at a show, you can get one, but, if I'm not there, then you are out of luck. Now you can just call me. Now you can just email me or um, Facebook me. And then it's the same thing as getting a commission at a show. So it's really become, I have to say it was a lifesaver during COVID because a lot of time was pencils down. And then I just, I, I made it uh, myself available on a couple of different commission sites and, and online. And then I got a long list and that's what I worked on for a couple of years. So it's, um, and I, I can show you some, I think I have a couple around. Hang on a second. Let me grab one. Sick. (laughs) I think that's a. So I do a lot of commissions. This is one I did of Black Kiss. This is. um, Nice. And so a lot of times. So I'll do the app commission. And these are a lot of ones that I've just done for fun on my own. So I take to shows, but also. So there's like that's basically Captain America, Guardian. Beautiful. So, I, yeah, that guardian um, is sick. I love, I love the shadow. The the that Canada design is sick. It's such a great design. And then here's one of my all time favorites. So sometimes I'll just draw stuff. Oh, for yeah, fun, right. And there's a Wonder yeah. Man. Um, <laughs> nice. Yeah. So these are just original single characters, and people love them. And so, well, you uphold the the uh, the honor tradition of Kirby, Kirby Crackle. I, I love. I mean, honestly, well. it's. <laughs> It's, it's almost meditative, right? I have, I've, you know, I love drawing them. 
back in the day, do you know how they used to be done, Ed? No. Okay, so so back in the day, the reason they're, they're, they're dots like that is you would take the ink bottle and you had that little plastic stopper. Drip it. And yeah. you would just drip it and dot it. And that's – it was so the thing about it is it was fast. It's a fast special effect and it fills up the page with black and it looks cool. It's brilliant. It's a brilliant mechanical technique. Um, but I don't use that kind of ink, so I do them all – by hand, by hand. Sure. <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. you could do variations with a Sharpie too, where it's more of like oh, yeah. an oblong scribble, you know, that sort yeah. of thing. Oh, I definitely play with it. You know, it's definitely fun, but just, it's, it's part of that visual lexicon. Like it's that, this is what, this is what power looks like. Yeah. And so I think that it's, it's kind of fun to play with and it's super meditative. I'll just draw, I mean, I get lost in the zone. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> Any way you do Kirby crackle, in the modern age is probably takes longer. Cause I downloaded some Kirby crackle brushes. I ain't, I ain't, pr- I ain't too proud to lie. I, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to, I ain't too proud to beg and I ain't too uh, honorable to, to not lie about it, but it, it's, it's crazy how like, even when I'm doing Kirby crackle with brushes that preset brushes in procreate, mm-hmm. I still go, ah, is this the right, Kirby crackle pattern, <laughs> and then I'll, I'll I'll mess with it some more, and then I'll <laughs> mix it up the opacities. Like, okay, these energy dots are closer or farther. Right, right, right. Your you mind know, look, starts I, doing all this shit when you're just yeah, doing yeah. the simple dots on a page. Your mind nah, starts going all these si- places. There's nothing look, simple about art, man. There's nothing. Look, I've never, I never thought I would say this in my whole life, but you fucking nerds. Jeez. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. Oh yeah, you want to talk about special Kirby crackle special effects? There, I have theories. There's, there's reason. Listen, I, I'm going to just jump in and say I think the best Kirby crackle is when you have a black background and you're essentially using the crackle as the negative space yep. so the colorist then works with like the energy around the dots mm-hmm. yep yep absolutely and yeah. also i i'm not good at it i've never mastered the technique but then a uh, white paint splatter on top of the curly Ooh. crackle gives it some yes yeah, yeah 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 i, I do <laughs> i do an amateurish version of that because it, it gets into your mind you're like oh yep. fuck this is different energies baby yeah <laughs> and like, like if i can layer my todd mcfarlane on top of my kirby i'm just gonna have <laughs> immense energy oh yeah it's gonna, it's gonna leap right off the page that's yeah. what i'm saying <laughs> exactly well can, can you tell people how to get um a couple of the sites that you're on for commissions and and how to contact you specifically for? Uh, oh yeah, so I'm on I'm on Facebook and I'm on uh, Blue Sky and I'm on Instagram and I'm on uh, Twitter X. So I'm pretty I'm just Johnsonverse Jeff Johnson. I'm pretty easy to find. Nice. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, drop a DM. Slide into Jeff. DMs <laughs> yes. is what he's saying. Right, yeah, please slide into my DM. It's on on a side note. It's surprising how much porn is is on. It gets. Oh yeah. I spent a lot of my day being like, that's not a real person. That's not a real person. Yeah. <laughs> real person. It's crazy. Yeah, Dude, it's crazy. I really, Instagram really makes, twi- both Twitter and Instagram to give you this false hope, right? Like you'll look, you'd be like 15 message requests right. popping off. I must have been great at the comedy store the other day. Let me check it out. Hello, baby. Want to yeah, see yeah. my, oh, okay. Uh, well, I'll, I'll follow this one. 
And the uh, other half, uh, the other half of them are like, "We've looked at your page, and we think you could sell this jewelry for us." Right. Oh like, my uh, god! No, you haven't, dude. Yeah, no, I, you haven't. When I was fucking basically three hundred eighty pounds, these fools hit me up talk about active wear. I'm like, "Boy, you're barking up the wrong right. tree, motherfucker!" <laughs> right. <laughs> this is anti-advertising. It, it made me write the joke that apparently uh, I've I figured out what my face looks like. It it looks like I'll join your OnlyFans. Apparently, <laughs> <laughs> hey, they're profiling. Brother. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah and then and then twitter will give you 57 uh notifications and it's just like whatever's going on in the world that has nothing to do with you and just a bunch of assholes opinions about it and those are your notifications those should be my notifications but uh, yeah but i want yours to blow up from people commissioning you so okay, that's why i had this yeah. special uh section yeah awesome. so i also want to just point you out to go to the drink and draw a YouTube page and look up the Rogues Kingdoms launch party because that has all of the possible links you could possibly use. But we will also copy those links and put them in the description down below uh, in the uh, YouTube uh, video that comes out on this and the uh, podcast uh, uh, links as well. So, oh, thanks, guys. Uh, yeah, so it's definitely support uh, Jeff's uh, stuff because, man, it's super fun. And I'm so excited to get this book uh, that I can't tell you. It's going to go right back there next to one of the dragons. Awesome. Yeah. No, the dragon, I can't wait for the dragons. Like, oh, I'm so pumped. Well, one of the things that's so talking about doing your own thing it, it, and how institutionalized you can get sometimes is like, so early on in the first issue, there's a, a character who is a beaver. He's the major domo for the king. And like, you, we see him like on page eight or nine. Um, and originally that was just an old dude, you know? Um, and then I had the idea of making him an animal. I'm like, oh, I think it'd be a beaver. It sounds like, oh, maybe I'll try that. And I designed him, and he had. I gave basically this French, you know, court outfit with like a cool beaver head and a staff. And I thought, like, yes, that's that's cool. <laughs> I like I like that. Um, but the, I had this thought of like, I started doing like, oh no, but like he's supposed to be a dude. Can I just make him a? Can't just make him an animal. And I thought like, yeah, you can. It's your book. Yeah. Right, like you, like, but I had the thought, like, no, I can't do that. I don't <laughs> yeah. know where that came from, but like, oh no, I can't make him an animal. He's supposed to be a guy. I'm like, it's my book. So I called yeah. James and said, hey, can I make him into a thing? And James loved the idea. And now we have every animal. We have t- tiger guys. We have all this stuff. We have stickers. <laughs> so like, it just it changed the entire dynamic of the story. Just me breaking some ridiculous glass ceiling, right? Of, well, of, of imagination, yeah. Yeah, and then it adds in that uh, thing where if there's tiger people, why can't everybody use magic? That, right. That which is part of the story. So yeah. like, yeah, cool. It, no, it fits. I love it. Yeah, it was just it, one of yeah. the things that, that I uh, the my resistance to it I always found really interesting. Like, that's where did that come from? Like, do like is that is that outside forces? Is that working within the system for so long that you you feel you're constrained, or is it just? the natural resistance of creativity. It's it's I, I've wrestled with that concept for a while. Like what is it that keeps mm-hmm. us from doing stuff that we should be doing? Well, I mean the whole story uh, uh, of rogues kingdom is about, you know, um, defeating dogma and, yeah. and, and dog guys too. And dog guys. They're making dog babies, but uh, yeah, defeating dogma and uh, finding a new way to do stuff. And of course, that's the theme of this whole thing with your Kickstarter, finding a new way to fund comics. So again, uh, Rogue's Kingdom, uh, please go fund that uh, Kickstarter, and we will have all the links, as Ron said, below. Um, also, 
leave us a five-star review. We mentioned it earlier, but let's mention it again. Leave us a five-star review. It really does help. And Ed, I hear you have a five-star review for us. Oh, oh yeah. here it goes. It is from Eternal underscore site. Eternal site. Mm. That, that, that's Hey, that's a fan of ours right His there. His third Eternal. eye is open right there. Yes. That's what oh, talking about. Fuck yeah. <laughs> and uh, he uses one of my longtime phrases. Uh, it starts, long story boring. That's the title <laughs> of it. <laughs> so I, I, love, I love the lexicon getting into the fans' heads. Um, mm-hmm. said, you will never be bored listening to these stories. Longtime listener, first-time commenter. I love your content. I'm still Charlie Brown moping about the nerd goat being in- inaccessible, but these t- talks are always so insightful. Oh, and I got to tell you, Eternal Sight, we got to start putting up a lot more uh, Nerd Goat com- content on the Rebooted YouTube channel as well as Nerd Goat Classics on the Greatest Pod YouTube channel. So all of that content is now owned by us again. So we will be putting that out with impunity, baby. So you, cool. you'll, you'll be able to get those. And we're also toying with the idea of doing new Nerd Goat episodes. We'll have you on again, Jeff, to talk about your favorite fictional character that we haven't talked about before. And okay. that would be great from you. But anyway, so yes, don't have to bemoan Nerd Goat being gone because like a force ghost, it's it's right here, baby. Wow. Given, given instruction. All right. So yeah, uh, Nerd Goat, blah, 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 and Disciple. Okay, here we go. <clears throat> I prefer when all three of you are together ranting and laughing. That's when you got to do baby <laughs> uh, also if i could get a shout out from nightwang that would be epic cheers oh man that way you know you know what hey hey look like, look okay all right yeah, what was your name eternal sunshine or some shit all right uh <laughs> that's, it's pretty cool to meet you man uh you know look i'm gonna be uh fucking up batman later because uh he thinks he's tougher than me but he ain't because i'm not wang so you know all right talk to you later <laughs> hey, there you go so there's a shout out from nightway he was swinging by and he gave you that so so you're you're lucky eternal sight oh shit it was eternal sight i'm sorry i you know i just i don't know but all right bye. <laughs> he flipped out the window all right so uh that being the case thank you guys for uh, joining our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash the greatest pod. Jeff Johnson is a member of our Patreon. So if it's good enough for a fucking genius, it's good enough for you guys. <laughs> yeah. And, and, yeah uh, and take that compliment, Jeff. <laughs> so thank you for listening to another fiercely independent, roguish, kingdomy episode of The Greatest Pod.